1: Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond Harris. Today we'll be discussing how to tell a friend they're a horrible boss, whether a husband who won't open the bathroom shades to give the plants a little light is a problem, and what to do when your friend setting you up on dates makes you feel like you might be a bigot. Helping me out today is Michael Hobbs, a journalist who hosts the podcast If Books Could Kill in Maintenance Phase. He writes about the media, moral panics, and the gaslighting of America in his newsletter, Confirm My Choices. Welcome to the show, Michael.
2: I am having like an existential crisis since you sent me questions yesterday.
1: Well, I thought it was so funny that you wrote back and said these questions are so hard. I
2: don't know how you do this. It's really difficult.
1: Well, I just think of you as someone, because I listen to your other podcasts, um, I feel like you always have just encyclopedic. Knowledge of almost every topic and really strong opinions, so I'm ready. That's for fake. You to That's play. editing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's because I do like three weeks of research before my own podcast. But yeah, for this, I was wondering if you I'm might like, show up man. with like
1: eight pages of notes for each answer, <laughs> um, heavily researched and cited. <laughs>
2: All I have in, in, in real life, my strategy for giving people advice is to just like ask them questions because mm. like typically people like know what they're going to do when they come to you for advice. So yeah. You're like, how do you feel about that? What have you done in, in the past? But with these, I just like read the dilemmas and I'm like, this is hard. No,
1: they <laughs> Sounds are. Sounds tough. <laughs> I they are really, really hard. And we can talk about all the ways that they're hard, but I think yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll still make you sort of, you know come out on one side or the other. (laughs) But before we get started, I want to ask you something we ask of every guest on the show, which is what's one piece of unsolicited advice that you would just love to share with our listeners?
2: I think honestly, the best piece of advice I ever got in my life was to stay off the treadmill as long as possible. (laughs) I had a a former boss, I was like doing a bunch of internships. And I was like, sort of on that kind of career track, trying to get into like the economy as fast as possible at age like 19 or something. And this this boss of mine, this really cool lady in her late 50s was like, stay off the treadmill, like Mm. do weird stuff Mm. for as long as you can do. And then that's basically how I spent most of my 20s was like goofing off and I did weird master's degrees because they were free mm-hmm. in Denmark at the time. Oh. And so I get, I'm sure you get these too, but like young journalists are like, what should I do to be a journalist? And yeah. I'm like, just don't do anything right. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> just like goof off yeah. as long as possible. And
1: do things you love and are interested in, not things you yeah, think exactly. you should be doing.
2: Yeah. And then you stumble into something or you have a better idea of it once you can, if if you're able to goof off, continue that as long as you possibly can.
1: <laughs> so when you said stay off the treadmill, I thought I took that literally. And I thought thought it was going to be about the gym because people always fall off. You know, it's like the easiest piece of equipment to get hurt on, it seems. Yeah, I just have
2: occupational health and safety advice. That's (laughs) all I have. I was like, that
1: really came out of nowhere, but, you know, it might be solid. I'm (laughs) sure he has the research to back it up. Anyway, Michael and I will dive into your questions after a short break. Get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, happy price go to your happy price Priceline. welcome back you're listening to dear prudence and i'm here with michael hobbs let's get started with our first letter it's titled ficus aficionado
0: i have been married to my wonderful husband for 10 years and we both work full-time i adore him On Fridays, he leaves for work after me. We have a lovely warm and sunny bathroom that is home to about nine tropical houseplants, which I also adore. I have asked him repeatedly to open the window shades when he's done in the bathroom before he leaves for the day so that my plants get as much sun as possible, especially during these winter months. Unfortunately, he constantly forgets to do this. So when I come home in the evening, the shades are closed and the plants have been sitting in the dark all day. It drives me a little nuts. We don't get into arguments about it, but being let down in this one aspect is now a routine annoyance for me. I don't think this is some passive-aggressive maneuvering on his part. He's otherwise a very thoughtful spouse and manages to lovingly navigate all my other neuroses and I his, which makes this particular mental block even more frustrating. I have resorted to setting an alarm on my phone to text him a reminder every Friday, which I resent. I hate feeling like a nag. We are on a tight budget, so installing a timed grow light rig is not an option. He says that the plants will probably be fine in the dark for a day, and you know what? He's probably right. But he also acknowledges the principle of the thing and says he will try to remember. My sister thinks I should let it go. I think he should figure out his own way to remember and actually stick
1: to it. What do you think? So one line answer, I'm with your sister, let it go. Let it go. But it took me some thinking to get there. So, Michael, I want to ask you Are you familiar with the orange peel theory? No. Okay. They've been talking about it on TikTok. The youth have been talking about it on TikTok.
2: Okay. That's why I don't know about it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's gotten to the point where they've written articles.
2: It's now reached the 40 year old set. Yeah. That's how I'm ready to learn. Um,
1: (laughs) So, basically, it's the idea that if you ask your partner to peel an orange for you, That's something you could do yourself. You're totally capable, but it's an act of love for them to just go ahead and say yes and do it. And you want a partner who will peel your metaphorical orange in various situations in life. So Mm -hmm. my first thought was, are the blinds for the plants this letter writer's orange peel? You know, is it a thing that she is asking of their partner that Mm -hmm. the partner just won't do? And it's feeling like there's a lack of love there because it's Mm. not that hard.
2: Mm, Right. Yeah, it is a a weirdly small thing.
1: Yeah, it's a weirdly small thing, but it's also not something that's his job. So I thought through the orange peel thing and I thought, no, I don't really think this fits here. I also first read the letter through the lens of the many, many letters I get in which male partners struggle to carry their weight around the house. And I get a lot of letters from women complaining about their spouse who won't do the dishes or help with cooking or do the laundry or take responsibility for their kids. And so sort of my knee-jerk reaction was like, he just needs to do this. You mm. know, it's weaponized incompetence. Why isn't he doing it? Right. But that applies to things that need to be done. This is your hobby. Mm. These plants are your hobby that you volunteered to have. I don't think it needs to be his job to take care of them. Like, you don't have a hobby yeah. That requires upkeep by somebody else.
2: This is the piece of advice that I should have said earlier when mm-hmm. I was in eighth grade and like an argumentative little libertarian. I read this book called How to Argue and Win Every Time mm-hmm. by this like probably wildly problematic lawyer. And one of the pieces of advice in there was never argue anything on principle alone. That if, you know, if your friend borrows a dollar and doesn't pay you back, it's the same principle as borrowing $10,000 and not paying mm-hmm. you back. But it would be deranged to treat those two things exactly the same. And right. so you can't just think about the principle of like, I've asked him to do this and he doesn't do mm-hmm. it. You also have to look at like, well, how like big of a deal is this? And also, is this like a, a a metaphor for other ways in which he's inconsiderate? And is this part of a pattern of behavior of not taking your needs into account? Right. Or... Is he, like, pretty cool and he just, like, sucks at this one thing? And, like, you might just have to do the blinds or, like, save up and buy one of these timed something, some automated process. Like, it might just be a weird fluke and, like, you just got to work around this one thing.
1: Yeah. And also, it's not as if he's saying, no, I won't do the blinds. Right. I don't care if you remind me. I refuse to. That's your responsibility. She just says she feels resentful about having to remind him. Right. Set the alarm and call him. You're not being a nag. You're asking yeah. him for a favor. You're giving him a reminder because he's thinking about other things that have to do with getting out the door in the morning right. and that need to be done. Right. I think it is totally fine for you to set an alarm and text him every day to open the blinds, especially if he's willing to do it and doesn't find that annoying. Now, I could imagine getting a letter from the husband saying, my wife decided to get all these complicated plants that need to have light at a certain time and she's not even home when the blinds need to be raised and she's putting it all on me and that's annoying. I yeah. would actually be like, yeah, it is a little bit annoying. Yeah. You can tell her yeah. that you don't want to, but he's willing to. And that's wonderful.
2: Yeah. We should do uh, journalism on this show and get, get the both sides account. Like the, oh, the husband was not available yeah. for comment so <laughs> I think, yeah, from a different perspective. It does sound like slightly worse.
1: Yeah. So I think, um, going back to my first comment, listen to your sister, let this go. Yeah. Sounds like you're married to a really nice guy who I don't hear anything this letter about him needing reminders for, um, things that are needed to keep the household running, mm-hmm. walking yeah. the dog, switching the laundry, whatever. Um, you have a system that's working pretty well. Continue these and tell him Thanks. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show, and when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. On Debt, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things.
2: I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving.
1: Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Michael, to answer your letters. And the next one is titled, Good Friend, Bad Boss.
3: My friend of nearly a decade, Jane, was promoted to her first management position in the last year, and recently I've been troubled by the things I've heard her say about her direct reports. She told me that one of her employees is only working here for the health insurance since they have a disability, and she'd like to see them leave their position. She laughed it off when I said that health insurance is actually a great reason to have a job. But I've since learned that that employee left, and I'm concerned that there was bias at play. I don't know if they quit or were let go. She was annoyed about one of her employees taking parental leave, particularly that they were not checking their email during their leave. Her specific dislike of that employee runs deep, and I frequently get texts throughout the day complaining about behavior that seems normal, i.e. cracking jokes in Slack. Is there anything I can or should say to her about this? I know on some level, she's just venting to me, a friend. She's young, excited about her job, single with no children, and doesn't seem to get that other people have different priorities. I'm also not a manager myself, so I'm not sure what's normal here. I honestly feel kind of affronted on behalf of her employees, who I'm sure don't deserve this kind of trash talk. But I also don't want to turn this into a huge thing with a close friend.
1: The question this letter raises for me is, do you like Jane?
2: I know. <laughs> My sucky friend. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I hear that she's a longtime friend and a close friend, but usually when people um, report on the negative things that people in their lives are doing, they're accompanied by, she's so generous. She's so kind. She's the sweetest, most gentle person. And just noting that this letter wasn't balanced with any of that. Um And so, yeah, just a question for the letter writer to think about. Do you like who Jane is right now? Not when you met her a decade Mm. ago, but do you like the kind of person she is? And maybe it's yes, but just a question to think about. I don't know. What else crossed your mind, Michael?
2: So... Many years ago, when my grandfather passed away, my grandma got money from the inheritance and decided to take the entire family to Hawaii. So like Mm -hmm. all of us, aunts and uncles and everybody went. We stayed at like a nice resort. My grandma paid for everything. And on the way there, the airline like lost my luggage. And I was – after I got back, I was like complaining to a friend about it. Like, well, Mm -hmm. they lost my luggage. And she was like, are you seriously – bitching about a free trip to Hawaii right now. Like, shut up. (laughs) And it was like, it was done in like a jokey sort of way. But like, Mm -hmm. please listen to yourself right Mm -hmm. now. And that was honestly like one of, I think, the best things that close friends can do is be like, shut the fuck up and listen to yourself for a second. I don't think this necessarily has to be like a confrontation. But I do think that you should like clown on your friend Mm. for being like, are you seriously like giving her shit for making jokes in Slack right now? Really? You didn't make jokes in Slack when you were younger? I think that is like, to me, I I don't know that this needs like a, a federal case. To be okay. <laughs> made about it, but like you should make fun of your friend for this. <laughs>
1: yeah, I love that approach. That hadn't occurred to me because I was thinking you should just casually mention, "Oh, that's so funny, haha." By the way, make sure you're not using a device that's also used for work emails, because what you're saying mm. could be the basis of a lawsuit. Because actually, oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
2: that's really also a good one.
1: <laughs> would be really problematic or illegal yeah. if anyone heard it. Um, yeah, but I kind of like the idea of making her a bit self conscious by making fun of her. More, um, because it will keep her from being like, oh, you're so serious, I can't tell you anything.
2: Right. And it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it seems like she is kind of a bad boss, which ultimately mm-hmm. is like kind of out of your jurisdiction as a friend. I don't know that I like investigate whether my friends are great at their jobs or not. Right, I kind of right. get why you would want to keep that out. But like, yeah, if she's making comments like this, like give her shit.
1: (laughs) And actually in the letter, it says she laughed it off when I said health insurance is actually a great reason to have a job. So there is room for laughter in this relationship and there's room for some back and forth. So yeah, I wish I had, I had written a script for that in advance, but something like what Michael said, just kind of be like, really?
2: Yeah. Make fun of your friends and listen to the things that your friends make fun of you for. (laughs) I think both of those things are useful.
1: (laughs) That's your unsolicited advice. That's really good. (laughs) um don't make fun of this woman she'll either stop thinking about her employee this way and she probably won't at the very least she'll probably stop bringing it to you
2: yeah yeah that's good
1: this is dear prudence we need to take a break but when we come back more letters from you and advice from us stay tuned I'm Janae and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Michael Hobbs and I are ready to tackle our last question for the day. This letter is titled, Hopefully Not a Bigot.
4: I recently told my friend that I didn't want her setting me up with foreigners anymore and she got offended. I know from the outset, this sounds pretty terrible, but my reasons are very specific. I went to grad school in a country I absolutely love. The dating, however, was horrible and almost every woman I talked to agreed. When I came back home, I mentioned that I still wanted to live there, and friends started to set me up with men from that country, thinking they might not behave so poorly since they had come from the U.S. That was a wrong assumption, as all of them exhibited the same poor behavior that made me feel uncomfortable. Friends started setting me up with many men, foreign and none, which didn't go well either. After a dating hiatus and a lot of introspection, I realized that I just don't want to date foreigners anymore. It's not because I think they're all bad or that Americans are better. I definitely had some terrible dates with Americans. I just realized that for what I want, being married to an American would be easier. With foreign men, I feel like there are just too many cultural differences for my comfort. I really like discussing shared experiences growing up where I did. I also noticed women who had American husbands were harassed less when I lived abroad. A friend thinks it's because American men have a reputation for being very aggressive so locals don't want to fight. I think it would be really important to have someone from home and to not be harassed if I decide to move abroad again. I'm not completely opposed to having a relationship slash marrying a foreigner, but it's just not my preference at this time. I told all of this to my friends and they were shocked. They accused me of being a bigot and that they weren't going to set me up with anybody ever again. I reminded them that I didn't say I wouldn't date a foreigner ever, just that I didn't want to be set up with one. That did nothing. It's been weeks and a few have ghosted me. I feel like my reasoning is sound and I shouldn't have to date people I am uncomfortable with just because it hurts somebody else's feelings. Women are constantly told that we have to be nice to every man, the implication being that they deserve it and we should be so lucky to give them the time of day. I'm tired of this casual misogyny being covered up by anti-bigotry arguments. I just want to feel safe and comfortable. But since this has been so upsetting to my friends, I thought I'd get an outside perspective. Are my friends right?
1: Do you remember sort of the era of the internet where um confessional essay writing and so-called think pieces were really mm-hmm. prominent? Mm-hmm. Um this part. Women are constantly told that we have to be nice to every man, the implication being that they deserve it and we should be so lucky to give them the time of day. I'm tired of this casual misogyny being covered up by anti bigotry <laughs> arguments. It just reminded me <laughs> of that time. What an overblown hot take. Um, What an incorrect analysis of the situation here. To be very clear, nobody is making you date anyone. Nobody's making you date anyone. Beyond that, are my friends right? Yes. Yeah. And it was it was the repeated use of the word foreigner for me. Yeah,
2: I wanted specifics because she doesn't mean Canadians here. She's not, I mean, this obviously is like racialized in some way. So like I, the, the thing, I, I think she's like talking around like, oh, it's just like foreign men. But mm-hmm. like, I think you should say what you mean yeah. <laughs> in this. And then she has the stuff of like oh, the Americans. I just think it'll be easier to date an American guy and like, I don't think that – like, the whole thing just seems like she's justifying this kind of weird stance. And also, I don't really even believe the, like, I just don't want to be set up with foreign men right. anymore. If you don't want to be set up with men, just tell your friends you don't want to be set up with men anymore. Exactly. It's, it, it, like, you, that, that would have been, like, an easy fix for this. But you clearly have, like, this bizarre hill that you want to die on. Yeah. Of, like, all men are like this.
1: I think part of it is framing it as no foreigners rather than who do you want to date. I mean, right. I think probably – The vast majority of people do date people who are from similar backgrounds and it's not a thing. They don't go around announcing who they won't date. Um, So I think if you'd said to your friends, like, I would love to date someone who has similar upbringing in the Midwest, someone who loves a casserole, someone who loves certain sports teams. I just feel we would really connect. That would be fine. Nobody would accuse you of being a bigot. You're obsessed with their foreigner status. That's what makes it weird. That's what makes it uncomfortable for everyone. And to go back to something else, Michael said, listen to what your friends make fun of you about. Yeah. These are your friends. They like you. And your (laughs) friends who like you and probably don't want to have this conversation are calling you out as a bigot. Um, It's Mm. not strangers on the internet. It's not people who hate you. You've got to listen to them and take the feedback. Not about who you want to date. Again, date who you want. I don't want to have that fight. I don't care. But how you talk about it and why.
2: Yeah. And also, I mean, this is just like a very straightforward act of like prejudice. It's like mm-hmm. it's, it's the sort of dictionary definition of like you're pre-judging someone on characteristics, like superficial characteristics before you know them as a person. Right. And, like that's literally what you're doing and like not just doing it, but like defending it. Mm-hmm. And, and also I think, I think it, it would be much more legible as an act of bigotry if you weren't using the, the euphemism foreigner. Mm. I think what you're talking about is basically like a specific racial group mm-hmm. here. I think that's like mm-hmm. pretty obvious, or like that that that's sort of what I'm reading into it. And like the fact that you're kind of retreating to this euphemism is also kind of indicative that you don't really want to say what you mean. I like I I assume this person's not talking about like, I don't want to date men from Yemen, but right. people from Oman are totally fine. I don't <laughs> think that's what she's saying. I think she's right. talking about like a region of the world, probably. Definitely. And so, like, if that's what you're really talking about, then like that's very Straightforward. Right. I like that you threw in like a straightforward like YTA question where we both were just like nope. <laughs> next nice try. I wanted to give
1: you one where we could just really, really unload on someone. Junk. Yeah. I usually try to find letters for the podcast that have a little more to unpack. You yeah. Know, kind of look at both sides. This is this is pretty clear, but. I thought the letter writer probably needed a clear answer here.
2: I will also say I I lived abroad for many years. I lived in Denmark for six years and Germany for seven years. And like when I meet a Danish guy, I like I kind of have my radar up for certain Mm. things. I honestly Mm -hmm. think that's kind of okay. Like Mm -hmm. in my experience, like I've had like bad experiences dating Danish guys for like very specific reasons based on their beliefs about like racial groups oh, and like fat okay. people and stuff oh, and okay. so I but but I try really hard to not like prejudge people on that like some Danish people have like really bad beliefs some Danish people don't have those beliefs but like my antenna are up for those things right but I also it would be really weird if I was just like I don't date Danish guys because yeah. I met some bad Danish guys I don't know I mean it, it it as soon as you get out of the the category like racial categorization it It shows how kind of silly the whole thing is. It's like, yeah, you're like, I've had some bad experiences before. I'm going to maybe listen, you know, listen to my feelings on this one a bit more, but not like you're going to delete the category.
1: Right. And if you're worried about deeply held views about gender roles that you think may be more common in certain cultures, what you would want to be saying to your friends is, I want to date a man who's a feminist. Yeah. Find me a man who's a feminist. Yeah. Um, And then they can look for that. And that person could have been born anywhere. Yeah. Um or even better, find your own people to date. That's what apps are for. You don't need to rely yeah. on your friends and you can kind of find ways to screen people and um according to your various biases and kind of keep it to yourself yeah. when you're looking through apps. You don't have to broadcast it.
2: I'm just looking for a guy who opens the blinds every morning and puts them <laughs> down at night. Exactly. I've one criteria without
1: That's... being asked ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those are all the questions we have for this week. It's been fun and hopefully helpful. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for having me. Keep up with Michael's writing by subscribing to his Substack newsletter, Confirm My Choices. And you can hear him on If Books Could Kill and Maintenance Phase, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday.
2: And if you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, they're looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous.
1: Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Maura Curry. Editorial help from Paula De Verona. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.